Welcome to the C Word, the Conservatives podcast. Today we're talking about side hustle. I'm Jenna Mathiason, an objects conservator based in South Yorkshire. And I'm Chloe Rumsey, an objects conservator based in Greater Manchester. Welcome to the show, everyone. It's a bit of a weird Hello. It is just Chloe and me this time. <laughs> we're doing this midweek. And it's possibly our only, only our second ever yeah. distance recording together. So uh, I can see Jenny through the video chat that we're doing. And that's we it. We both have a slightly unflattering angle of each other as well, which is one of a lot of chin. Oh, yeah. So uh, we were living our best life here. But anyway, we're here and we're recording <laughs> and everything's going to be great. Should we do some news? Yes. So we have quite a bit of news today, actually, because we haven't done it for a while, just because it's quite difficult to find news that's going to be relevant that you both know when you record and is also going to be relevant when you release the episode, because mm. we do our episode recordings at the beginning of the month, once a month, two per recording session, as it yeah, were. Yeah, it is really tricky. Yeah. So it can be a bit kind of like... Like, oh, well, well, it's going to be out in a month. Is there any point? Anyway, there's plenty of point this time because we've got loads of options. So to start with, the BNA has released recently um, an online culture in crisis platform um, as part of their culture in crisis project. It's a free to use online platform to share cultural heritage projects um, for their protection and research. It's the largest and most accessible database of cultural heritage preservation projects, so say the BNA. That sounds fabulous. We'll put a link to that in the show notes if anyone's interested. Um, I was just going to mention that the latest Icon Twitter conference happened on December 4th. Uh, well done on anyone who participated and thank you so much to everyone who organized well it because that's a fabulous thing and we so need more of this. I mean, the rail prices are going up massively next year. Oh, and yeah. We, we, we just can't all physically go to things anymore like i think it, no. this is the future you know so if anyone uh missed the icon twitter conference then just search twitter you don't have to have an account for hashtag icon tc that's for twitter conference and you can just find all of the twitter papers so that's great isn't it that's highly accessible material so i think that's absolutely fantastic and i'm so glad it's running again yeah i really hope they make it a, a regular annual thing so good absolutely so talking of accessibility um, and thus diversity this is really this bit of news is really interesting for anyone interested in our diversity episode the new museum school initiative have you ever heard of that no no i haven't i hadn't either so the news is that the new museum school initiative have had their first set of graduates uh, graduating recently um and they've just been doing a year of traineeship in various um, museum sectors. Um, this is an initiative funded by the, the National Lottery Heritage Fund. Oh, God. I can't say the new acronym because it, it just does things to my brain. It is putting a lot of letters in one row, it has to be said. I've not heard of it before. I don't know whether that's because I've forgotten or it's not been advertised in our conservation skirt circles or what. I might just have been really inattentive, actually, not reading the correct sort of things. But if you're interested, check it out. I would be really interested to know whether there's actually some conservation input in this as well, um, conservation place in this, because it would really kind of add to our efforts towards increasing diversity in the sector. 
Yeah, excellent. We'll definitely put some links in for that. So my next bit of news is that the Bronte Society has raised 600,000 euros to buy the mini book, the last of the mini books by Charlotte Bronte, which she wrote at um, age 14. And it's actually going to the Bronte Parsonage um, in Yorkshire, which is really, really good because it was their house and there's a lovely museum and the room's all set out and it's just the, it's just, such a fantastic place I really I've been there recently as you can tell um <laughs> it's really lovely so I'm really pleased and they had so much support which is really fantastic so well done them and I love it when objects go home rather than hugely wealthy collectors overseas that is good um so the Jeffrey Museum if you've heard of it it's in East London um so it's had a um 18 million pound project renewal um and it's now called the Museum of the Home and it's going to be opened in the summer of 2020. It's been really well received just in general, the yeah. news of its its uh, new name and everything. It's been, been good to see. Uh, my final bit of news, the Louvre in Paris has um, started rehousing 250,000 objects um, into a new conservation centre um, restorage project that has cost uh, 60 million euros um, and it gathers objects from 60 different storage sites around the city. Um, this is fantastic if you're interested in uh, this sort of project and if you, let's face it, like seeing storage porn. <gasps> yes. Oh, so beautiful. <laughs> the great. racking, oh my God. I don't actually know whether the the photo I saw was a real photo or whether it was one of those um, like digital recreations of what you might expect. Oh yeah, like it was so shiny and drawing. like magic looking. Yeah, exactly. It didn't look real. Um, so anyway, <laughs> that's happening and that's beginning, and it's very exciting and really really good. Um, and I reckon it should be a seaward little jaunt. I mean, oh, really? uh, research trip. Oh, research I see. Trip. Oh, I see what yeah, you're doing research here. trip to Paris. Uh, <laughs> Are you discreetly hoping that there's some listeners in Paris going, please come? <laughs> cool. So, side hustle. I'm really interested in this topic. It's one that you came up with, Jenny, about, well, months ago, really, saying, you know what? We all do stuff like this. And actually, it's really true. So many of us have like additional income streams. <laughs> yeah. So, so that there's guess, either I love or the, necessity. I guess the definition of side hustle is that it's any type of employment that's undertaken in addition to one's uh, main job, you could say, or main career. Yeah. So yeah, it, it is additional additional uh, income usually, um, or or you know a secondary career. It. People got a bit upset almost when uh, when I started asking for contributions for this episode because people were like, you really shouldn't be celebrating that people have to work extra on the side. And my, <laughs> my stance is that this isn't yes. a celebration so much as, as it is something to talk about. And we love talking about difficult things yeah. on the show. And let's be fair, there are different reasons why people do something extra on the side. So mm-hmm. it can be that it's about earning extra money because that's totes where it's at for me. But it can also be that there's another really different career that you want to do as well as conservation because it's a creative outlet or, you know, that sort of thing, right? Because, Chloe, what do you do? <laughs> well, this is an interesting one. And I, I really like what you said there because I, I saw some of the... Um 
kind of the upset on Twitter, particularly about uh, about it, you know, people being genuinely disturbed that people have to have glamorous careers as all sorts of things to fund their uh, conservation frivolities, it seems like. <laughs> it's like yes, there, there was a slight undercurrent of that. So uh, mine is sort of both, actually. Mine, I'm still hoping to be contested with this. Um, I am the only belly dancing conservator. <gasps> Am I? That is a. Good if thing you to are also about. a belly dancing conservator, please tell me because I'm trying to find another one. No, um, I know. We did so find other I, dancing um, conservators, but not belly dancing yes. in particular. I think. So I'm a professional belly dancer in the extent that I uh, go and dance in a dance costume for money in various public places for themed parties or uh, weddings or most often restaurants actually nowadays um so at the moment i'm dancing with uh, an agency called taste of cairo but it hasn't always been this way so i've been dancing uh 12 years and to begin with obviously i wasn't professional i just spent loads of money on it <laughs> and this was whilst this was I started when i was started being a student um back in 2007 and i spent loads of money on it i did loads of traveling with it and it was definitely a money sink so in that respect it was you know it wasn't professional it was a it was a labor of love and then it actually really started to help me in my um conservation ironically my conservation year um second year I started dancing professionally and it and it really helps up the the monthly um monthly income this was particularly whilst I was writing my dissertation so I would be sitting writing my dissertation all day in the kind of prawn shape that you get when you're <laughs> at a desk writing and then have to slap on loads of makeup and dash out in a sparkly costume to a restaurant in Cardiff. But it was fun and it kept me sane. Uh, oh. I also did dance teaching for money as well um, in university. Um, when I was in my last job and on the short-term contracts, actually it was a comfort to me because... I was also making costumes for people for the money as well. And when you've got a quarter of the year booked up with dance gigs, you can say, okay, well, if I don't get my next two months or whatever it was at the time, then I'll be all right for a bit. <laughs> yeah, it's hard, it's hard work trying to stay in conservation sometimes. Um, I, I was going to give a semi-helpful list that I found on the internet of examples of side hustle, just in case people are still a bit confused. Oh. Excellent. about what they could be now not all of these will be super applicable to conservators in particular or anything it's just kind of general ideas so mm -hmm. um, selling selling stuff on ebay uh, driving an uber uh, being a delivery driver renting out your rooms for um, as part of airbnb running someone's social media doing gigs on Fiverr. Now, Fiverr is one of those platforms where you can buy almost any kind of service that you can think of. Like, it's one of those micro-job websites. Tutoring online, uh, writing e-books, walking dogs, babysitting, selling on Etsy, uh, washing cars, freelance writing, uh, being a personal trainer, providing music tutoring, uh, and then just any old part-time job. So it is the kind of stuff that I guess older generations would just see as having a second job, but they are kind of like smaller things that are on the side. So not necessarily... That don't take up too much of your time. Yeah, it is more about additional income streams than they are about it being your main job, is what I'm trying to say. 
So this is all with the assumption that conservation mm-hmm. is your main job, or at least the aim is to have it as your main job. So uh, we all know that there are peaks and troughs in terms of conservation careers sometimes, because it you might be, be between contracts and stuff, and then you need to do something else for a bit. And I think that actually counts as side hustle, because it's not what you intend to do as your main yeah, job. Yeah, yeah. If you then decide that actually this is what I'm going to do instead of conservation, then it stopped being your side hustle and became your main hustle. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> main hustle. <laughs> and uh, like, I'm sure we both know people who have, sw- who have switched careers for one reason or another. Yeah, definitely, yeah. But here we're kind of looking at stuff that helps you stay in conservation or that you do on the side because it's fun. Um, so that that's the kind of thing that we've been asking for. And we did actually get a couple of contributions um, sent in. Um, so let's listen to those now. Hi, everyone. My name is Amandine Colson or Amanding Colson, however you want to pronounce it. I'm a French conservator specialized in archaeological objects and I'm based in northern Germany close to Bremen. Today I would like to share with you all the jobs I did as a, on the side of my conservation career. It all started of course when I was a student and one of my first jobs was selling cheese on the market. Very French, I know. And later on I uh, carried on with becoming a tour guide on a very beautiful place uh, called the uh, Abbey of Royaumont, a cloister north of Paris, where I definitely learned to talk in public and deliver a message in a very sensitized uh, way about medieval architecture, you can imagine. Later on, I became a secretary in a law firm in Paris city centre. They were specialised in uh, financial issues, dealing with a big amount of money, which is absolutely not my world, but uh, believe me, I learned a lot. And there for them, I was doing all the background research for the lawyers and helping them to prepare the cases. Later on, I started to work. I graduated in Paris in 2009, so it's exactly 10 years ago now. I continued to have uh, side jobs because uh, the first contracts were for a couple of months and then became a little bit more, um, but I needed to do that to to bridge between uh, different um, different contracts. But also I was willing to do that to uh, learn different things and I'm also not the kind of person who likes to stay at home very much. So one of the jobs I did, for example, when I arrived in Germany, was working again as a secretary um, in a consulting firm that was specialized in personal development for them. I was basically uh, present on social media, looking for new customers and partners uh, using my skills in different languages. Parallel to that, I was also uh, managing or helping in terms of the production of a classical music ensemble or a music band, if you wish. And I was there helping to do all the logistic behind a concert. So hotels, accommodations, restaurants, travelings uh, for concerts, as well as rehearsals and recordings, of course. 
since last year, on top of my um, conservation job, I'm teaching fencing um, in a sport club since I'm a foil fencer since I am about 10 years old. And there I give a course to the kids and the teenagers, the basics of fencing and get them into this uh, wonderful sport, uh, very unique, where you also get to, to learn so many different skills that will help you, uh, help them, I hope, as adults. So to summarize everything, I would say that uh, maybe when it all started, I was not so much aware of the choices I made in what job uh, was appropriate to me to earn the money. Uh, but of course, all the soft skills that I gathered along the way. And when I look back, I really see that this whole thing makes sense. Uh, I think I was rather just following my heart back then. But when I look back, I'm really happy that I did all of that. Out of curiosity, most probably, uh, happy to learn about new businesses and industry, but um, also uh, um, sustain myself. So I would say the soft skills that I uh, was lucky enough to to, uh, to develop were interaction with the public, which is, I think, in our profession, very, very important to try to deliver a message about what we do that is a little bit simplified and more accessible to a normal public that doesn't sound too nerdy uh, or too academical. The other thing that I learned was definitely organization in uh, so many different fields that I would never probably work very long in, but I definitely keep uh, inspiring myself from all these different industry in my everyday job. The uh, third thing I would say would be logistic and also learning from so many ways of doing it. So I still use it as a conservator because we all know that is very, very central molar in museums. So um, all in all, to finish up, I would say that uh, working with so many different people gave me a natural open mind into different um, strategies of, of thinking and solving problems. And it's definitely something we need in conservation. So although sometimes it was maybe a little bit hard to jump from uh, one job to, to the next, I could definitely say this was shaping me as a person as, uh, I hope, uh, a good conservator. And I could definitely um, advise to uh, be a bit more strategic uh, for yourself and think about all what uh, this, all the skills that you can gather and yeah thank you very much for listening uh, regards to all the uh, amazing SeaWorld community and hope to see and hear much more of uh, every one of you bye bye hiya my name is Debbie I work in America and when I'm not in the studio, I'm actually a writer. It's more of a hobby that pays, I suppose. But my wife insists it must mean I'm a professional writer. Mostly it's fiction published on Amazon Kindle. But also stuff like poetry and bits for magazines sometimes. I write under a pseudonym, so I can keep my career separate. Have a great day, and thanks for including me. Hi Seaward, Lorraine Finch here. You asked what conservators do as a side hustle to earn a bit of extra income. Well, my side hustle is that I rent rooms out in my house. This was especially important to me after I graduated from Camberwell because I was trying to pay off, or I was paying off, two years of student debt. In 2003, when I became self-employed, I'd moved and when I was looking for a house, I looked for a house that I could afford that had um, spare rooms. And for the first two years of self-employment, I rented 
all of the rooms out in the house. And it's something that I still occasionally do when times have got a bit hard and work's become quite slow. More recently, I have rented rooms out because it's a great way of meeting new and interesting people. And in fact, tomorrow I have the director of the Panto from at St George's Theatre coming to stay with me for two weeks. So looking forward to that. My name is Jennifer and I currently work in the UK, but I've moved around a fair bit. So I've lived in all sorts of great places over the years. When conservation work has been slow, I've supplemented my income with translation work and being a language tutor. Hope that counts. What's my side hustle? My side hustles go back a long way because most of my side hustles in conservation have been conservation and another conservation, and another conservation. But the non-conservation hustle I had was I used to work on a deli counter. And when I worked there, I learned two very useful things, one a skills-based thing and one a social-based thing. The skills-wise, what I learned was how to slice cheese with a cheese wire to an accuracy of a fraction of an ounce, because many shoppers showed a tolerance of less than plus minus 0.5. The other thing that I learned was social. Even back then, when I was quite young, I could not stop myself making helpful suggestions about how to run the place better. I was quite low down in the pecking order and my manager immediately spotted me for a troublemaker and did quite a lot of things to reduce my options like turning down leave requests um, and making deductions of people took too many rum barbers out of the freezer and then we didn't sell them. Anyway, imagine both of our surprise when it turned out that her boyfriend was a lodger in my boyfriend's house. It made for quite a few weird social situations and it's a really useful reminder that whatever hierarchy exists at work, we're all just people getting along and you shouldn't punch down. That's my side hustles. That was Jane from Cardiff. Hello, my name is Rosie and I'm from the UK. I've been doing a bit of admin on the side for years now to keep up with the bills as it's so hard to find stable work in the sector. But I've recently gone freelance as well. I work for the local authority where I live, as the council has decent enough wages, and it gives me the freedom to do bits of museum work as I can. I hope that's enough info. So thank you so much for those. Um, I really enjoyed listening to those personally because I thought that there was There's quite a lot of variation in there. Um, It's not conservation, but it is using skills that are really genuinely helpful in the workplace. And if you've ever tried to write your CV or spice up a CV, I should say, it's definitely the side hustle type things that really, that I think is really important, actually. Yeah, definitely. I've definitely had people say to me, (laughs) oh, it's the belly dancer. And I sort of don't know whether that's a good thing. Um, it makes it memorable, though. That's before, the main thing, right? <laughs> yeah, certainly before my permanent job and the, the podcast stuff kicked off, I was thinking, oh, God, I've gone and got myself stuck with a belly dance Twitter handle. Oh, no, maybe I should just hide it from people because people are going to think that I'm, like, silly or whatever. But actually, I say, I tell people, essentially, all the different transferable skills and dealing with people yeah. and difficult situations and stuff that it has helped me with. And that's really genuine 
genuine. So don't devalue your no, transferable think. skills. I do wonder if people are a little bit shy, maybe, about admitting that they have other jobs or if they... Oh, yeah, definitely. Because sometimes I feel like people are a bit frightened that it makes them seem less dedicated because they're not doing purely conservation or or like then they wouldn't be taken seriously by an employer because they work two jobs or something and it's like how would that ever be detrimental you are working so hard i i just don't see how that could ever be a bad thing if you see what i mean it is it can be a bad thing in terms of your mental health and uh, because you're trying really really hard to keep food on the table those things can be bad i mean i just don't get why it would look bad it does seem like a lot of people are a little bit shy about talking about other jobs they may have or things to do on the side but i wonder if some of that is just a general stigma in society about talking about money because it does imply that um you do have to work hard to stay alive mm-hmm. and that mm, you're not yeah. being handed everything on a silver platter and that you know you you're not privileged enough to just kind of sit back and go nah, i can survive on my whole life is conservation 12 yeah. hours a week because that's as much work <laughs> as i could find in conservation like nah, it's not realistic yeah you know though i've definitely worried about that in the past that's been oh, yeah? i've often downplayed my passion for belly dance in say interviews or personal statements and i try to essentially use the skills that has given me with at the same time as giving the impression that oh but my real love is conservation it's okay don't worry it's okay i'm serious honest i'm serious about it and not gonna skip off until the last one the last job i applied for when i sort of threw caution to the wind essentially because i really desperately wanted the job and um i was just gonna throw everything at it and you know it's at that point where you realize how valuable you can be to an employer by listing all these are all the things I genuinely am good at and I remember thinking when I first started applying to jobs in 2013 when you know lovely Jane Henderson (laughs) said you can use examples from your life as well as your career it's not just about the career CV you can use and I remember thinking oh I don't know oh can I oh I don't know I don't think I've got any oh no I wouldn't want to do that People do tell you that at university. And then I feel like a lot of people in the room just go, no. (laughs) (laughs) You can feel the whole room go, no, no, I'm not doing that. No. (laughs) They must know know of my secret love of knitting. And uh, (laughs) it's like, no, it's fine. You can be a human being. (laughs) Exactly. So I really enjoyed that uh, Lorraine shared about um, renting out rooms as well, because that must be a really common one that people don't necessarily think mm-hmm. about. Yeah. I know so many conservators who have lodgers. Like it, uh, I, I, There is an element of um, you have to have the privilege to be able to own a house absolutely, at that point. Uh, absolutely. Which is so, problematic, yes. but if you are lucky enough to have a house. Mm. So we've listed loads of different things that you can do as high side hustle, but we haven't talked to you, Jenny, about what you've done as side hustle, because I know for a fact that there have been a number of separate things and you're always doing stuff uh yeah that's because i'm an insane person and also poor (laughs) (laughs) those are the reasons for that i've certainly had part-time jobs i didn't actually work very much during being a student because actually complete honesty here my mental health was down the toilet and i could not cope with being a full-time student and then work on top of that that was Mm -hmm. just not a combination Mm. that was happening so it's hard I I was just really poor. And then after a while, it just became 
too much. So I I was a Christmas retail assistant at one point. Ooh, boots. Uh, I did a bit of temping at like the student uh, temping agency for a bit. So I, I did bits like at one point I was like a a meter and greeter at uh, cricket games at the stadium. Uh, I don't know anything about cricket. Yeah, so I've, I've <laughs> the seats are over there. I don't know what they're playing. Yeah. Something with a ball. I don't know. All I can say is the toilets are here. So I, I've, I did a bit of temping, but not very much for a while. While I was uh, looking looking for work, I was certainly doing um, little gigs. I joined the gig economy hard, and uh, I did things like I too did a bit of translation work. Actually, um, I also wrote abstracts for people because people people can get a bit close to their own research and stuff so when they've written a paper or something they might find it really hard to write the abstract because mm. I love being concise so I was an abstract writer for, <laughs> for a bit just reading people's stuff and condensing it and it's great what else did I do um yeah so it was strange stuff like that and translation work I sometimes struggle with this professional bit but I suppose I am a professional artist in that people pay me for my art which is great so and then I've had Etsy shops in the past where I've made handmade stuff and sold. What kind of thing have you made on Etsy? Oh, um, for um, for a while I made uh, jewellery and cards. Uh, a lot of like handmade things like that. And then uh, what else have I done? Um, oh, um, I've been a fines officer temping again for uh, archaeological units. My most bizarre side hustle has probably been what I wrongly refer to as death cleaning. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) This needs explanation. And it's because I used to work for a department at a university. And sometimes they had the unfortunate thing of, you know, people pass away. And people who are too close to them do not want to clear out their offices. So they just... Of course. Yes, they need the room Mm. again. So they kind of sent me in to like go through it and see what's personal papers what can go in the confidential shredder what should be uh given to colleagues what's not important to keep anymore what can be given away that was one of my crazy little side jobs for a bit i actually really enjoyed it uh because i felt very down to to earth (laughs) but i feel like i got to know someone who's not around anymore and it was kind of (laughs) nice oh you're so but then that's kind of how it is working in museums we get to know people who aren't around anymore so it's it wasn't that different um which sounds insane but that is kind of what it's like so that's one of my weird side hustles so yeah i do little things on the side a lot um that's just who i am um but again it's because i'm poor so I guess that's why when people went, don't celebrate that we need to do things on the side. Well, it's, it's just talking about the reality of things. Yeah. And that sometimes we can't make things work with just the conservation work. And sometimes it's okay to say that. It is important when we say things like we should be paid more that, well, this is why we're working our asses off, <laughs> sometimes doing two or three jobs because it doesn't always work. So... That's the reason why there should be a minimum salary thing. And that's the reason why you should pay us more. If you're an employer, you should pay us more. I think it's certainly true that a lot of the things we do, we do because we like doing them and because we are just the kind of people that like to keep ourselves busy. Like we will do crafts because we like that kind of thing. We will do writing because we like that kind of thing. But if you find yourself in a position where actually it's the additional money is really important to you, then that something's going wrong there if you're working full-time and then another additional amount of time it's something going wrong and I've certainly been in the situation where 
Personally, I'd say I don't do my job for the money. I'm not paid well, but I don't care because I'm not doing it for the money. I'm doing it for the love of the job and the love of the work. And because I feel like it's a privilege to work work with the collection that I work with. Very genuinely, I feel like it's a privilege to work where I work. But there have been times where I've had to cancel gigs or get cover for gigs because of injury and because of other commitments. And if I'm not careful, I will cancel too many gigs in a month and I'll be really struggling by the end of the month. Mm. Um, and I've put myself in difficult situations um, because of various body injuries because of that um, when I've not been able to dance. And that's the kind of thing that frightens me personally because, you know, anyone can fall down the stairs and break their leg at any time. <laughs> yeah. And it's all very well if you, you know, if you break your leg and you're a translator, for example, because you can always be doing stuff. But, you know, you might suddenly have something that takes up more of your spare time, like, a family illness or something like that and you aren't able to do that or I could as I always seems to happen have a back injury and that means I can't dance and so it's a lot of things like this in fact work in general is actually on a bit of a knife edge and I don't want to sound really bleak because this is supposed to be a positive episode yeah but I, it, it is important that we recognize that it's precarious sometimes you know the thing with being um obviously <laughs> the freelancers among you will be nodding your heads like yeah we know is that's just life if you're with an employer i think it's quite easy to get used to the idea that you are uh, protected somewhat for by by the sickness by um sickness leave and that kind of thing um or indeed maternity pay if you get pregnant intentionally or unintentionally but if you if you rely on say all these various side hustle things and then they are taken away from you then it's going to be really tricky yeah it is precarious sometimes, and that's the truth of that. And I guess that's why this is an episode where we're trying to talk about, you know, that sometimes it's tricky, and sometimes it can be hard to talk about. Uh, but I don't think we should be ashamed of whenever we do side hustle, because there are all sorts of reasons why we do it. And I think it can be something positive and rewarding. Um, but also, it does mean that we need to have these kinds of conversations, because if we keep letting employers get away with paying us very, very little, then, you know, this is just where it's at forever. And that's not really okay, is it? Then that's probably why we need unions. <laughs> just FYI. <laughs> actually, it's just it's not just you and me, Chloe, who are going to talk about this, because actually we have a message from our uh, co-host Christina as well. Hello, my name is Christina and I'm an objects conservator and part-time co-host of The C Word. Jenny and Chloe have asked me to say a bit for this episode because I've had an incredibly messy career that's a total patchwork of conservation jobs, non-conservation jobs, freelancing, voluntary work, uh, additional study at times, and sometimes all of these at once. I'm currently on my 10th contract since qualifying as a conservator 15 years ago. And when I'm asked to provide a two-page CV for a job application, I roll my eyes so hard I can see inside my head. Anyway, I have quite a few thoughts about this. Um, first, I want to talk about non-conservation jobs, because that's what most people mean when they talk about side hustles. Like most people, I did some work on the side while training as a conservator, because money, really. 
before I went to UCL, which is where I did my conservation training, I had been training as a chartered accountant. So I carried on doing freelance bookkeeping during the first two years of my conservation training. I also spent the holidays working in the CD shop where I'd previously worked after my undergraduate degree. There are a few advantages to doing this, the bookkeeping and the shop work. Uh, Money, obviously, but also some welcome variety from the incredibly intense course that I was doing. And also the comfort of doing something that was very straightforward and predictable, which my conservation training didn't feel like at the time. Um, I've found it quite soothing to be sorting out other people's invoices, for example, or tidying up CD shelves when I spent a lot of my time at college freaking out about how fragile my object was and how much damage I could potentially do to it and how I didn't know anything at all. And so it actually was provided a real break and a relief just to go and do something very kind of mundane and know that um, it's time limited. You're only going to be doing it for four hours that day. You'll get paid at the end of it. You're not going to take it home with you. It's fine. Um, The shop work in particular acted as a constant reminder also of what I didn't want to be doing with my life, um, namely being condescended to by self-important academics in Cambridge who were quibbling about getting 10p off the price of their CD uh, and having to answer insanely vague queries about a particular piece of music that the customer had once heard and I think it was on the radio and the composer's name might have begun with B or was it J or... Anyway, going back to work in the CD shop every holiday was a real motivator to work hard and do well in my conservation training. And then after I qualified as a conservator, I got my first job four days a week for three months, yay, and thought this is surely going to be the start of a long and fulfilling career in conservation. Not so fast. My contract was renewed for another six months, at which point the gallery I was working on reopened to the public and my services weren't required anymore. After trying and failing to get jobs in London, Glasgow, Oxford and Bristol, I realised that I would have to diversify if I wanted to hang in there long enough to find another conservation contract. And I managed that by looking for jobs that were what you might call conservation adjacent so things where being a conservator is an advantage but the work itself is not technical so fast forward to 2016 by this point I had two children who were then five and three and a husband and a mortgage moving or commuting to where the jobs were wasn't possible and local jobs had dried up completely I'd previously done some freelance work but I wasn't keen to go back to it because A, it's quite hard to get freelance work as an object conservator in particular, especially one who specialises in antiquities. B, I suck at time estimates. C, I didn't have and couldn't afford a studio or materials or insurance. And D, it felt like a massive financial risk that I wasn't willing to impose on my family. This is just my personal opinion. Obviously, your mileage may vary. I know lots of people who are awesome at doing freelance work. I'm just not one of them. So at this point, I seriously started considering getting a job outside conservation. I did also briefly wonder whether I should just become a stay-at-home parent and ride it out until another conservation job appeared. But again, A, what if that never happened, which is always possible? Uh, B, much as I love my kids, I would go insane. See, did I mention that we had a mortgage by then? I needed to work for the money. And 
D, I felt it was really important to have something on my CV, especially something that might give me some transferable skills. And I felt that doing non-conservation work was better than not doing anything and keeping yourself pure for the next conservation job, if you like. I'd done a lot of public outreach and blogging and social media and writing and editing by then. So somehow I managed to blag a job as the part-time communications coordinator for a university department. I tried to stay in touch with conservation while doing this. I did bits and pieces of consultancy work. I acted as an icon PACR CPD reader and I also started doing the C word in fact. But I have to say that the day job itself was actually brilliant It was fun and varied and intellectually challenging. And best of all, it was a permanent contract. So I would happily have stayed like that forever, um, making the side hustle into the day job, if you like, except that a conservation job was finally advertised in my town. And I applied and I got it. The whole thing was a massive gamble because it was only a one-year contract. And unfortunately, the gamble didn't quite pay off. The contract wasn't renewed. And I left that job in January this year. So that time I was a lot more wary, obviously, having left a permanent job to go back to conservation on a temporary contract. And that's when I made the hard decision to give up on precarious conservation jobs for the moment and concentrate on finding something rewarding and secure and ideally well paid so I could have enough stability to carry on doing just the interesting bits of conservation in my free time. So that's what I'm doing now. Um, I have a challenging and enjoyable day job and conservation has become my side hustle, if you like. Since being made redundant in January, I've done a few pieces of consultancy work um, for local museums. I've been a freelance conservator for a temporary exhibition. I've done some editing and uh, conservation related editing, that is. And I'm currently putting together a handling manual for another local museum. Having a stable day job can also give you enough security to take more risks with the conservation side, I've found. For example, having said that I don't like freelancing because I suck at time estimates and end up being paid about £1.50 an hour, I found myself doing more freelancing because getting the estimates wrong on occasion is no longer so disastrous as it would be if it was my only source of income. I've really enjoyed the variety of having lots of different things to do and I've found that transferring my career focus to the day job, if you like, making that my career, has allowed me to take on more challenging roles than I would as a conservator. So in terms of my overall career, if you like, it's definitely been good to take jobs outside conservation, not just in terms of broadening my skill set, but also in making my overall employment prospects more robust. And this is something I didn't understand when I first started looking at other jobs. I thought, but all I know about is conservation. And how will knowing the TG of Paraloid B72 help me get a non-technical job? You know, that's that's all I can do. I'm a conservator. I know loads about conservation and nothing about anything else. But actually, as it turns out, I just didn't know how to value myself on the job market. But gradually I came to realise that actually you can learn loads of valuable and transferable skills while working as a conservator. Um, If you're a conservator, you know how to manage projects. You know how to persuade other people of your point of view and how to deal with them when they're being difficult. You know how to write reports and use spreadsheets. You may have managed social media accounts or written a blog or organised events in your conservation job. 
Um, you're probably reliable and methodical and organised. And employers love all it. So don't downplay those skills. It's not all rosy, of course. Combining a day job with conservation side hustles can leave you feeling stretched very thinly. The work feels bitty often and it's hard to keep switching heads from one thing to another. You may have an identity crisis, as I have certainly, where you're not sure if you're a proper conservator anymore because it's not in your job title now. You can also end up feeling insecure and sidelined from real conservation work and actually jealous of those who are able to pursue it full time and permanent off. More prosaically, you might have to deal with bookkeeping and self-assessment and tax and things like that. Um, Although I should say a couple of years ago, the government introduced a scheme called the Trading and Property Allowance that means that you can earn up to £1,000 a year from freelance income without having to register as self-employed or even having to declare that income for tax purposes. And I'll send Jenny a link to more information about this to put in the show notes. Finally, I suspect there will come a point, especially now I'm over 40, where I just don't want to live like this anymore, sort of scrabbling around for bits and pieces and not not being one thing or the other. And I suspect there will come a point where I feel forced to make a hard choice between conservation and non-conservation, just for my own sanity, really. But I'm not there yet, and so I would urge anyone else who is struggling to find enough conservation work out there to try flipping things on their head get a stable day job instead and develop some conservation side hustles. I want to talk about having side hustles within conservation and by that I mean all the things that you can do on the side that aren't a paid day job as a conservator. For example freelancing or volunteering. I know you might think these are not strictly side hustles because they're also conservation related, but I think they do add something extra that a conservation day job doesn't. And so I think they fall into the same category as other things that you might do in your free time, which you might make into your side hustles. So I'm going to call those uh, conservation related side hustles, if you like, just to be absolutely clear about the kind of thing I'm talking about. I'm a big fan of the conservation related side hustle and have variously done freelancing, editing a conference book. Um, I've been paid to do this a couple of times, but I've also done it for free. Uh, Web management, writing, computer programming, teaching and voluntary service. For example, um, acting on the Icon Archaeology Group Committee, being a mentor and CPD reader and being on a conference organising team. Oh, and of course, as a podcast (laughs) co-host. Um, Some of this work has been paid and some of it has not, but it's all been conservation related and it's all made use of the specialist knowledge and skills that I have as a conservator. So in that respect, I think it's quite different from the sorts of non-conservation related side hustles. So I mentioned that I had found my first conservation related side hustle when I'd finished my first couple of contracts and then couldn't find another job as an objects conservator. At that stage, I was desperate to stay in conservation and not just do something else. So I started thinking about how I could diversify but still stay within the profession. I was lucky enough to be offered work as assistant editor of Reviews in Conservation because Noelle, the actual editor, 
was too busy with her own side hustle, a PhD in paintings conservation, and needed someone to help her out. That job was brilliant for introducing me to conservators all around the world, and also at keeping me in touch with what was happening in conservation. Also, Reviews in Conservation, which is a journal that doesn't exist anymore, it's been kind of swallowed up by studies in conservation, was published by IIC, the International Institute for Conservation, which meant that when IIC was subsequently looking for someone to overhaul their website and launch a new conservation newspaper for them, I was already visible to them. So I spent a couple of years working part-time for IIC, setting up and editing news in conservation and working on their website. And again, I'm classing this as a conservation-related side hustle because it's something that I did in addition to my conservation work, but it's um, still very much keeping me within the conservation field. This gave me enough stability to keep going so that when, in 2007, I finally got a part-time conservation job in London, I was able to combine these two things and end up sort of with a full-time job. So in 2008, I got a full-time contract as an objects conservator again. So I stopped working for IIC. Um, but the conservation-related side hustles didn't stop. I became involved with Icon Archaeology Group Committee, initially as treasurer, the job no one else wants to do, and later as chair. And this taught me all kinds of useful skills, such as good note-taking, um, making minutes, events organisation, uh, tactful disagreement, how to chair a meeting firmly but fairly, and how to roll your eyes without anyone else noticing. And around this time, I also got involved with helping to organise a big conservation conference. And I can't recommend this highly enough if you get the chance to do it. It takes a lot of your time and it is a bit of a thankless task, but it's something that employers will love on your CV. And it's also so satisfying seeing 100 people in a lecture theatre listening to a brilliant programming, a brilliant programme of talks and knowing that you helped to make that happen. Uh, by then, I'd had considerable editorial experience, which came in handy when I was looking for a job after my first baby, and I got a maternity cover post as editor of the Journal of the Institute of Conservation. So, as I said, the earlier attempts at diversification actually got me a proper paid job, and one that I could do flexibly and from home with an eight-month-old baby, which is not something you can say about bench work. A year after that, I started a job share as the conservator in a local museum, which gave me a bit of breathing space, really, to think about doing more voluntary work, something that's difficult when you're desperate to earn enough money to make ends meet. I um, was asked to be a voluntary PACR-CPD reader for ICON, and I jumped at the chance. The CPD readers work in pairs, basically, to read and assess and comment on the CPD reviews that are submitted each year by accredited conservators. It's a challenging but rewarding role, and it gives you a much deeper understanding of personal development and career planning. Side hustles are only worth doing if you're getting something out of them, and when they start to become a burden or to make you miserable and stressed, then it's time to stop, or at least seriously consider cutting back on something. 
um, volunteering for Icon still, um, editing and writing, and now teaching courses in writing for publication um, that are aimed at conservators and that build on my experience as a conservator. Oh yeah, and uh, occasionally blathering on about stuff for some podcast or other. Um, and although this isn't the same as doing bench work, these activities all keep me in touch with the profession and they're good for networking. And as I said, they can sometimes lead to paid work. So it's definitely worth considering whether there are any side hustles you can do from within conservation, paid or unpaid, as well as looking at how to turn your non-conservation interests into a job. We've got a couple of things to read out as well, haven't you? Have you got them with you, Jenny? Oh, yes, that's right. Uh, I've got one here from Chris who says that she used to be a barista while she was a student. Um, uh, she doesn't say where in the world she is, but uh, thanks very much for writing in, Chris. Uh, I'm sure there are loads of students out there who do things on the side all the time, you know, because it's hard work mm -hmm. being a student and it's hard staying alive. And then we've got an anonymous one, which uh, was a bit spicy. And I thought I'd read out because uh, she, she asked me to. And uh, she says... Um, I uh, I sell used underwear online. Uh, it's very lucrative uh, and uh, a great way of uh, making extra money. <laughs> wow! I've heard so, of that. If you've ever watched Orange is the New Black, then that is totally a thing that's in there, <laughs> by the way. Um, but yeah, so uh, I just I just love the contribution. Uh, so that, that's staying in there for sure. Um, but yeah, so uh, if anyone out there wants to tell us about their side hustle, it would be really great to hear from you. Uh, I would be curious to hear what we're doing. I think conservators are actually quite creative beasts in general. So I would love to hear, you know, what you do if, you know, if you're doing something creative in your spare time that actually people do give you money for every now and then i would love to hear about it i think we are a phenomenally creative and amazing bunch of people and i'm sure there's loads that we do that would count as side hustle so if you're brave enough do tell me what you're doing dear jane I'm a qualified conservator with several years of experience. I have just moved to a different country from where I've been working and I'm seeking new employment. I've been offered a role in an area that I don't specialise in, but the catch is it is a junior salary and will leave me with very little money after travel costs. The potential employers have offered flexible working and the chance to take short contracts elsewhere if I can find them. Should I insist on a date for a salary increase? Should I take the job? Any advice would be welcome. Thank you. T. Dear T, I can see why you're facing a dilemma. You've been working as a professional conservator, earning professional full salary, and now you have to decide whether to hold out for a big perfect job or take a job which perhaps isn't quite what everything you were hoping and, as you say, doesn't really give you a great deal of income over and above your travel costs. It is clearly a dilemma and one in which I can't give you a full answer. From what you say about the potential employer, they do sound like they're being thoughtful to your needs in terms of offering you to take short-term contracts and flexible working. The advantage to my mind of that offer is that if you should see something along your line of work which is absolutely fits your specialism, then it sounds like you can go and do that. 
and thus build up a reputation for yourself in the sector in the new country in which you plan to work. I think that conservation jobs, however people like to say that they're all done professionally, are done by the use of networks, knowing people and convincing people that you can deliver in terms of your project. I got to say that I think it's easier to find a job when you've got a job. And I know, know that's deeply, deeply unfair. But if you can afford to take the job, if it doesn't mean that you've got costs over and above in terms of childcare and things like that, if you can actually make a little bit of money out of it, I think your chances of finding better, full-time, more permanent, more specialist, whatever you're looking for employment in your new country will be massively increased by being in that practice. I would say that while you're there, you should ask them about training and opportunities. Can you start to build your networks in your new location? Can you join the professional body? Can you go on courses? Is there an accreditation standard where you're moving to? I think you should start to try and work on all of those things to try and build your reputation and profile. And certainly, if you see any short work opportunities, go out and grab them. So I hate to hear of people working for nothing. And I think Jenny and Chloe discussed this in a very, very early episode I think it was series one when they talked about you know having offered being offered jobs where it would actually cost more to do them and the dilemma that presents to starting out conservators but as long as it covers as long as your salary is at least the living wage in the country or the minimum wage in the country that you're being offered it if that does exist um, and as long as you think that they're not trying to exploit you that they're not trying to get you to work on the thing that is your specialism um, by trying to employ you by saying you're not a specialist and getting you to work on something else. I don't know if that makes any sense, but as long as they're not trying to exploit you, um, if, if you are working outside of your specialism, then there will be a training element and you just need to think about how you capitalise on that. So if you do take the job, then you need to think about what you said, the salary increase. I think that depending on which country it is, it might go down a little bit badly asking for a date for salary increase. But you could certainly ask for a date for a review of your position, your contribution to the organisation and where you fit in. I think that's very reasonable. And you should also set in your own mind a deadline for when you feel that you need to earn more money from so that you don't just get stuck in the rut and stay there just because it becomes familiar. So I do, well, I kind of hope you take the job and I certainly hope that you enjoy it and you use it for a short term to build your career and networks and move onwards and upwards. Thanks for your question, T. Over and out. If you're enjoying The C Word and would like to support our work, then please consider becoming one of our patrons. For as little as $1 per month, you can help us keep our episodes online and more of them coming. Patreon helps us meet our regular costs for the show, and also to plan ahead so we know roughly how much of a monthly budget we've got. That's super helpful when you're trying to do something special like buy a better microphone or save up to go to a special event. Your support also helps keep us free of advertisements. In return, our supporters get access to our archive of extended episodes, which you can only access on our Patreon page. Yeah, for that $1 a month, you get a little extra audio enjoyment. We've crunched the numbers, and it's about 10% extra content on a regular basis. That's not bad for less than a cup of coffee, eh? If supporting us sounds like something you'd like to do, then head over to patreon.com slash the C word and join our bunch of absolute champions. Thanks for listening. We're the C word, and you've been listening to Chloe Rumsey and me, Jenna Mathiasen. Join us next time for a Christmas special. In the meantime, check out our website at theseaward.show, tweet us at the C
Seaward Podcast or simply email us on theseawardpodcast at gmail.com. The intro and outro music is Spring by Didi Music, used under Creative Commons Attribution License. Additional sound effects by Callum Robertson. This has been a Wooden Dice production. is now clambering around <laughs> stop it oh my god <laughs> <laughs>